Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Just another quick reminder that today's episode is part of a two-part series. So part one is last week's episode, which is labeled Stages of Labor Part One, and this is part two. So it's a follow-on episode from last week's content that we covered with Brooke. We talked all about birth plans and birth wishes, what that looks like, how to write them, and Brooke so beautifully offered up her templates as well, which you can find her email in our show notes to contact her directly for that. We also covered the first couple of stages of labor, what established labor looks like, and some amazing tips and tricks and natural pain relief options for you as you navigate your way through that labor process. In today's episode, we're going to dive deeper into the second and third stages of labor, and I'm going to hand it over to Brooke to share more of her amazing wisdom. Please enjoy part two of this episode. So from established labor, where do we go? What's next? So then we're moving into second stage, which is birthing the baby. So this now is the woman starting to feel that strong sensation in her bottom. So she's starting to feel like she needs to um, do a poo. Mm-hmm. Um, and when a woman is saying to me that she feels like she needs to do a poo, then the midwife and I often look at each other and have a big smile because it means that there's a baby coming. Yeah. Um, and so second stage, um, the choices that a woman has is to really think about, well, would I like to have a water birth or how would I like to birth my baby on all fours on the floor? Would I like to birth my baby on all fours on the bed, leaning over the bed head? I really do try to encourage women to look at positions where you are off your back mm-hmm. um, as much as possible because it really can help just the, um, the space of the pelvis, obviously, for the birth of the baby. Um, and then we're looking at things like delayed cord clamping, which is obviously really important just to allow the, um, the blood from the placenta. So there's a third of a baby's blood volume is in the placenta. Mm-hmm. So we know that once a baby is born, that that blood will go through the cord and into the baby and really help to heal and repair um, what needs to be supported in the baby post-birth. And um, when a baby's born uh, vaginally, we spoke about the cranial plates crossing over. And what happens often is that there will be intracranial bleeding, um, small amounts of intracranial bleeding within the baby's head when Mm -hmm. the baby is obviously squashed through a bony pelvis. And the beauty of mother nature is that there are stem cells in um, in the placenta, in the blood that's coming through that cord and those stem cells will travel all the way through the baby up into the baby's head and heal and repair anything that needs to be healed and repaired. So that's the other beauty of delayed cord clamping and not sort of stopping that process of mother nature after the birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very yeah. cool. And yeah. you had mentioned um, these couple of anatomical signs that you look for the mothers. Yeah. yeah, so when we, uh, so especially when you're birthing a baby in a hospital, um, it is important to know that it is always, the choices are always in the woman's hands. So mm-hmm. when you arrive at the hospital, often it will be clinical checks of checking the baby's heartbeat, checking the mother's blood pressure, her temperature, palpating and checking the position of the baby. 
Um, and then often the first thing is uh, whether or not the woman wants to have a vaginal exam. So a, vagi a vaginal exam for the hospital or for the midwives is just to check an indication of where the woman is at in her labour. Um, and that is obviously a choice for the mother. She can choose to have a vaginal exam if she wants to, or she can choose to decline that and have it at a later time if she wanted to. So again, as a doula, I just always encourage women to make that decision themselves, so it's an informed choice. Some clients I will have, you know, when they get to the hospital, they um, want to know because they've been in labour for quite a while at home and they just want to know where they're at. Um, that's totally fine. And then other women that don't want to know that and don't want to have a vaginal exam straight away and they may go the whole entire labour without having one vaginal exam and push out their baby. Mm. Um, there is another indication of dilation and that can be sometimes where women have a purple line that um, you can see on their lower back um, and it's you can't see it on all women but I have been to quite a few births where it's so prominent and it really is quite incredible to think that, you know, that is the gift of Mother Nature to show birth workers, um, you know, what's going on for that woman in her labour and, and when she's ready to birth her baby. And the other thing is where the sacrum bone will sort of push forward. So there's this bulge in the sacrum and that's an indication that the baby's starting to really move down into her pelvis um, and that she's close to, closer to birthing her baby. So we do have these external signs on a woman's body that show us where she's at in her labour instead of having to intervene um, with other sort of clinical um, routine exams and mm. things like that. Yeah. Um, but again, neither is right or wrong. It's just that it's important that we're educating women that it's a choice. Yeah. If you want to have a vaginal exam, you can have it. If you don't want to, you also don't need to have it. It's your choice. Mm. Yeah. So um, just from a personal point of view, there's a really interesting stage between um, five and 10 centimeters, which is when most things can go wrong because women are thinking, you know, I've been laboring forever. And when they have a vaginal exam and they're being told um, you're four centimeters, it's very depressing almost, you know? Mm. So I can hear this reason why you wouldn't want to have one and just yeah. get to 10, you know? And yeah. when 10 is happening, that's when transition, as you probably would call it. Um, yeah, so yeah. just before a woman, roughly around sort of, well, not that you would necessarily always know that she's nine centimetres, but most the transition occurs when women are mostly saying to me, I can't do yeah, this, just right. can't someone pull the baby out? Mm. And it's all that irrational thinking. Mm. So, and Or they may just start crying or they say, I'm just going to go home, I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. You know, so that is a really clear indication of transition potentially occurring. Um, and that's a great point to bring up really about the dilation because I've had many clients where they have been laboring maybe in pre-labor at home for you know a couple of days and then you know they finally get to the hospital and they may have a vaginal exam and they're three centimeters dilated and they think that you know it's just terrible and it's the end of the world and how am I ever gonna have this baby? Mm -hmm. How much longer have I got to go? And then they go from three centimetres to, say, nine centimetres in, like, an hour. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, which, you know, is incredible and can happen. And then other women take a bit longer. Mm. So the dilation of how far your cervix is doesn't really give you an indication as to when you're going to have your baby. Yeah. And also, so, you know, the analogy here might be um, using a um, other bodily function that we have no control over. And that's how a bolus of food <clears throat> moves through your gut, you know. So mm. we eat food, it goes through our esophagus, it goes through into our stomach, it goes into our small intestine. Peristaltically, it goes through our um, large intestine. And eventually it sits 
about to be pooed. Mm. So strangely enough, you know, we can't make that balls of food go through our gut really quickly. It eventually gets to the rectum and it eventually um, needs a sphincter to um, you know, dilate and, and push it out. So that to me is sometimes how I explain um, first stage to some patients. Like that baby has to make its way down, the uterus has to um, do its job, cervix has to dilate. And finally, at second stage, you get to do the pushing. Yes, <laughs> I love that analogy because it's also, you speak to many women and you can let us know as well, Lily, if it felt like this for you, but most women will say that it felt like that the baby was coming out their bum. That's yeah. right. So yes. it's like, you know, a lot of people will say birthing a baby is like doing the biggest poo of your life. Mm. Yeah. So that's and, a great and, analogy. <laughs> and women actually have to give up the fact that they may not do a poo on birthday because you know, the, you know, the baby has to pass through the, that rectum and squeeze past those, um, those tissues and in so doing will squeeze out a bit of um, feces. Yes, a poo mm -hmm. is a really great five. conversation yeah. to have and because I have so many clients that will be so fearful through the pregnancy of pooing in front of their partner mm. and then I always say that I can pretty much 99% guarantee you that on the day you will not care. Yeah, <laughs> and also now we know the, the, um, the whole gut microbiome thing, you know, and... Um, yeah. But you know, when 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 the woman is in second stage, I mean, you're more or less home and dry, aren't you? Well, look, yeah. and that's the yeah. thing that I said in pre-labor, in that early mm. phase of pre-labor, women are emptying their bowels at home yeah. because yeah. their body is trying to clear out to empty space. And then the other beauty that Mother Nature does is that when women then are in established labor and things have really kicked in, you know, into gear, and you've got these contractions that are coming quite, you know, consistently and regularly, um, you then don't feel like eating. Yeah, because your digestive system shuts down because all your blood supply is going to your reproductive organs to push out a baby. So your body says, I don't have time to digest food. So if you've emptied your bowels throughout the pre-labor, there's not much that's mm. going to come out when you're pushing out a baby. Yeah. And yeah, and that's the beauty. Here comes the baby. <laughs> yeah, and most women as well, you know, mm. for women that are listening who have do have a fear around this, when you're birthing a baby, your eyes are often closed, and so if you are, say, in a, um, a pool or a bath to birth your baby, the midwife or I will have a tiny little thing called a pooper scooper, and nice. um, if a woman does poo, then we scoop it out, and she will have no idea that she's done it. <laughs> Her partner may know, and he may bring it up after the birth. <laughs> But definitely but, not at um, the time. No, not at the time. <laughs> I would hope that he doesn't bring it up at the time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, second stage is all about So delivering. second stage is all about birthing your baby. Yeah. So women will um, uh, feel the baby moving down and then start to get this really overwhelming urge to, to want to push. And so it's important to really go with that sensation. So if a woman feels like pushing, then she goes with that sensation. If she doesn't feel like pushing, then she doesn't push yet. Because the thing is, a baby, when they move down into the pelvis, the baby may not be, she's, she could be 10 centimetres dilated, but the baby is still sort of quite high up. Mm. So it means then that she just has to really allow that baby to move down a bit further until she gets that overwhelming urge to need to push and then she goes with her body. So the beauty is to remember that your body knows what to do. So you need to trust your body and to get out of your mind mm. and really allow your body to kind of take over. So again, getting back to what the choices are around second stage is to look at where you would like to have your baby. If you'd like to have a water birth, then to, to note that on your birth plan. Um, and on here, it just says water birth if possible and desired at the time. Mm. So some women may get to that stage and not want to have and their baby in the bath. Yeah. 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 
soft encouragement, which just means no one's in your birth space going push, push, like you're in a football match or something <laughs> like that. So it would be nice if you weren't having that. Often that can happen if you have an epidural in and a woman can't feel the sensations of where to push. So then it does tend to be coaching and, and really you know helping that woman because she can't feel where to push. Um, following, following the rhythm of the body, so really listening to your body. Dim lights, I really encourage women to make sure that the birth space that they're in, um, you don't have any bright lights on, that the blinds are closed. Mm. Um, because women are vulnerable at this stage when they're birthing a baby and you don't really want to be doing that with bright lights on. Mm. Obviously that is different if there is an epidural on board or if there is a doctor that needs to be in the room, then the birthing environment can really change. Um, then there's things like having on your birth plan that if you're not having a water birth that you may like to have a warm compress on your perineum. Yep. So a lot of um, obstetricians and midwives will do this naturally where um, when a woman is pushing they will get a nice warm hot cloth and put it over her perineum to support and protect the perineum. So sending blood flow there to minimise tearing. Um, so that will be something that I will um, chat to clients about if they don't have the water birth to put that on their birth plan. Yeah. Um, and the baby up onto mum's chest. So when the baby's born, that the baby comes up onto the mum's chest and yeah. she has skin to skin straight away. Um, and then obviously talking about you know delayed cord clamping and num no one cutting and, and, and clamping the cord straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of second stage. Um, second stage, you know, for first time mums can take up to two hours to push out a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, my sister took about three hours to push out her first baby, um, which was pretty incredible that she did that in a private hospital mm. and um, really sort of kept insisting that she was going to do it and didn't need any help. And um, she did, which was just incredible yeah. because there can be this pressure in hospitals where they then start talking about things like a suction cap or you know, a, um, an episiotomy where mm. they, you know, do an incision and cut the vagina. Um, they say to create more space for the baby. Um, so it's important that women research and look into these sort of things as well and how to, um, you know, hopefully avoid not having to have any instrumental deliveries. Yep. And that really is um, to um, hopefully avoid a, an epidural. So when you avoid an epidural, then you do minimise the chance of not needing to have um, any sort of instrumental delivery. Mm. Not birthing on your back. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. And having a doula there to advocate for you. So I had a client recently birth, and um, she was pushing for probably close to two hours, and we were really on that kind of time clock of the doctors being at the door and it all being very mm. sort of, you need to get the baby out now, and... Then she tried many different positions and um, she was kneeling over the bed, leaning over the bed head, which was really great because she was using gravity. And then when the doctor came in and the doctor said, um, I need to um, do an episiotomy. And then um, I looked at the dad and I was sort of, you know, giving him the kind of like, she just needs one more push. Yeah. And then the dad said, can we just have one more push? And then I said to the mother, you need to push with all your might and get your baby out. <laughs> yeah. And with one big push, she pushed this baby out. And we realised that the little girl had her hands Aww. up near her chin, which is why it took a long time. Mm -hmm. But she pushed out this beautiful baby on her own with no episiotomy and she also had no tearing. Mm. Beautiful. So it just really did for me show the importance again of having a doula in the room mm. and the partner to advocate for this woman yeah. to be able to really trust that her body could do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. 
And that kind of then brings us to third stage. Yeah, so looking at third stage, so third stage is birthing your placenta. So the show's not over until your placenta's out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so lots of skin to skin contact for mum and bub, which is really important because the, a woman will release the biggest amount of oxytocin after she births her baby, and that is to help birth her placenta. So if we can keep the mum and the baby together, then that is going to help support her body to release the placenta. Now, in all hospitals in Australia, it is protocol that they want all women to have an injection of what's called syntocinin as the baby's head's being born. And the syntocinin is to help birth the placenta quicker uh, and to also stop any postpartum hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. Now, the question then is, well, not all women have postpartum hemorrhages, so do all women need to have syntocinin? And the answer is no, not all women need to have syntocinin. So when I educate my clients throughout the pregnancy, often we will put on the birth plan natural delivery of placenta, but open to syntocinin. Mm. So that means that after she's birthed the baby and the baby's up onto her chest, the midwife or the doctor are observing and looking at the blood loss. And if the blood loss is minimal and it's fine, then she's happy to just allow her body the time to birth the placenta naturally. And when you work with the care providers in that way, that you're open to having it, of course, if you needed it, but that you don't just want to have it yep. for no reason. Um, and I have a lot of women that birth their placenta naturally without syntocinin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's absolutely possible. Um, I have had some women who have had a normal physiological birth and then the placenta is taking a while to come out and they're exhausted and tired. And so they change their mind and say, I'm totally happy to have syntocinin. And then, um, you know, they, they take that choice. Mm. So again, it's, there's no right or wrong. Mm. It's about looking at what you would prefer as a woman birthing a baby, because again, it's your birth and it's your body. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And how long are we talking about? It varies from woman to woman. Yeah. Some hospitals will have a policy where if it's not out within 15 minutes, then mm -hmm. they're really insisting that the woman has syntocinin. And other, other hospitals may be, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and okay. they're happy for that. It really all comes down to how much blood loss yeah. the woman has, yeah? I've had some women where they're not bleeding at all, yeah? So um, we need to look at women individually, not just group them all together, yeah? yeah? Some women need syntocinin. Some women don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. Some women need to be induced. Some women don't. Mm. So I think that it's really important that we come back to really educating women that they have choices. Mm. Yeah. And it's always important that they know that it's their body. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the third stage, which is birthing the placenta. So they need to look at that, which is natural delivery of the placenta or having syntocinin. Um, and then the last thing I have on the birth plan here is looking at um, what you would like to do with your placenta. So um, a lot of women um, don't really know what choices they have. You can birth your placenta and leave it at the hospital and then they just dispose of it in medical waste. Mm -hmm. um, you can consume your placenta. So I'm sure women, most women nowadays have heard of placenta encapsulation, which yep. is where you can get your placenta made into capsules. That is something I do. So if women listening, listening to this are interested, they can reach out to me on my website about that. Um, or the other option is that you can bury your placenta. So there's a lot of cultures like the Maori culture and um, where else? The, uh, I think the Balinese as well, they bury it as well. Um, there's a lot of indigenous cultures that will bury the placenta and put it back into mother nature. Mm -hmm. So I've had a few clients do that where they bury the placenta and then they may plant a lemon tree or a lime tree or something like that. 
and then it becomes the baby's tree and they talk about that as the tree grows and the baby grows which is also a really beautiful thing to mm. do so um yeah it's just yeah it's important that at each stage of labor women know what their choices are and to put those on their birth plan and they may get that on the day or it may slightly go a little bit different and they may then have to make different choices and then it may come back and they can kind of keep some of the choices that they had on the mm. birth plan so um birth wishes are i think an absolute essential thing for for women through pregnancy to make sure that they um that they do with their partner mm. yeah. yeah beautiful mm. well i guess to um wrap us all up brooke do you have sort of three little things that i guess a take home from what we've just talked about that you would like to leave our listeners with yeah so again going on from the last podcast that we spoke about um, if i look at the sort of you know the trinity of um you know how to achieve a, um, a beautiful positive birth it would absolutely be having a doula present for your birth and to have that person that can educate you and support you through the process so that you know what your choices are mm. um, and um, writing a birth plan or birth wishes with you. And then I always come back to this and you guys, you know, I mean, you're both chiropractors. You've got to be under chiropractic care. It's just mm. such a, an essential component for, for labour and birth. And I've seen it over... Nine years now of working with chiropractors and all of my um, clients under chiropractic care and having, you know, first-time mums having really short labours, mm. you know, and I can just see that there is definitely a correlation between chiropractic care and, um, and the ease of, of labours for women. Mm. So that's definitely another take-home from this podcast for women out there that um, don't know much about chiropractic to reach out to you guys. Um, and to ask the questions because sometimes we can be fearful of things without really knowing enough about them yep. so um, open your mind to really learning about something before you sort of dismiss it uh, and that's not just with chiropractic but that's with everything yeah so use that for doulas use that for whether you're going to have a home birth or a hospital birth um, and there was one thing actually that I didn't cover which um, is a great thing to bring up now um, which is the acronym of BRAIN. I don't know whether we discussed that last time, which the word BRAIN, so you, any decision you make, you look at what are the benefits, what are the risks, what are the alternatives, what does my intuition say, what happens if I do nothing. Mm. So if women can use that as a take home and use that, it's from Sarah Buckley's book, um, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. So they can check that out uh, and she goes into detail about how to sort of use that as a way to make choices in your labour and birth. Um, yeah. So that would be another take home. Mm. Amazing. Can I just say for you, um, mm. this will be for people to contact Brooke directly. Yes. Yeah. Because I, there's so many things you've said which, and I know we've been here for ages now. Yes. But I would love someone to, to contact you, people to contact you regarding um, placental um, encapsulation because mm. it's a huge, this is another complete podcast but they can talk to you directly with that one. Yes. I think because um, that's something that's been hardly touched on, you know, um, in society. Yeah. But we do know that going forward, hopefully it will be thing, there'll be thing of the future and you're already doing it so I think um, absolutely yeah. they can reach out to me at my website thebirth.com.au and um, there's um, a lot of information on my website I've got video testimonials of clients that have done it um, and written testimonials so they can have a look there um, or reach out I'm happy mm. to have a chat and these days people are only having one or two children at, at most you know so mm. I think calling their doula you know like ringing you and actually finding out how they can make it such a beautiful experience um, 
Absolutely. We're going to do it once or twice, you know. Mm, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say you've only got one opportunity to birth your baby. Yeah. So please make sure that you really think through, um, you know, the choices in terms of your care providers and the place that you're going to birth your baby. Mm. Sometimes people will say to me, oh, well, I'll get the doula for the second birth. And um, it's a bit like saying I'll have the home birth for the second mm. birth. Well, do it for the first. Mm. If it's something mm. that you're really drawn to, yeah. then do it for the first. That's right. yeah, don't wait to the second baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. So, but again, ladies, it's been beautiful catching up and, and talking all things birth. And mm. I could just you know go on forever, but we should probably wrap it up. <laughs> Well, we want to thank so, you, Brooke. You've been incredibly generous with your time, your information, but also, you know, being there to support our listeners with giving out your, you know, where to find you and um, your amazing knowledge. So we want to say a big thank you. I know our listeners are looking, really looking forward to this episode. Um, and, yeah, we can't wait for it to, to be up there for people to hear more about labour and birth and the beautiful thing that it is. Beautiful. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this two-part series, Talking with Brooke all about the stages of labor we absolutely loved having brooke back she was a big hit in her first episode episode five of season one um, and was highly recommended and highly sought after to have her back for another episode so we are so appreciative and grateful to have had brooke and to have stolen her for two other incredible episodes on the stages of labor i just wanted to really quickly jump in and let you all know that you can find brooke's website and her email address in our show notes to both this episode and part one, the episode previous to this. Brooke talked about some amazing templates that she uses with some of her clients. And I know that so many of you would love to be able to access them. So please see our show notes for her details and you can contact her directly and chat to her about those templates and possibly even being your doula. So thank you for listening to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week for another incredible episode helping you up-level in your health. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.